throughout the whole of Scripture. Sorry, before we do this, if you turn over to Daniel chapter 3, just a couple of readings there before I move forward. Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, verse 24. This is when the Hebrew children are in the fire and the bonds have been burned. Praise the Lord, they're free. And in Daniel 3 and verse 24, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished or astonished, rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said unto the king, True, O king, And he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. This promise that we have in Hebrews chapter 13 is a promise that is repeated throughout uh, the whole of Scripture. God constantly comes to His people to assure them that He would never leave us or forsake us. To Jacob, God said in Genesis chapter 28, He says, Behold, I am with thee. I will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land. And then He said to Jacob, For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken unto thee. The promise that God gave to His people. Moses spoke to the children of Israel on the verge of going into the promised land in Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 6. And he said, These words be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, He it is that does go with thee. He will not fail thee. And then it says, Nor forsake thee. He's a God that never fails. And praise the Lord, He'll never forsake His people. The Lord said to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, And verse 5, he said, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Nor forsake thee. David said in the Psalms for the Lord, Psalm 37 and verse 28, For the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever. What a promise we have. They are preserved forever. Isaiah the prophet said in Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 17, when the poor and the needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I the Lord will hear them. I the God of Israel will not and shall not forsake them. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8, he says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but listen to what he says, but we're never forsaken. Never forsaken. Yes, there's trouble. Yes, there's perplexity, but we are never forsaken. We are cast down, but praise God, we're never destroyed. Jesus said, I want you to turn to this one in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, the words of the Lord, He said, 28 and 18, Matthew 28 and 18, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost 
teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. And the church said, Amen. What a promise. I am with you always, even right to the very end. He never leaves us, nor will He forsake us. These wonderful promises are so true, but they're so relevant and are so needy in the hour in which we're living. There are times that in the moment of crisis, not only do we stand on the promise, but also throughout history, there's been a manifestation of Christ in the promise. There are times it is His sovereign purpose, it is His plan, but He reveals Himself Himself in the midst of the crisis. Here is one of those crisis moments in Scripture. Three children, three young men are cast in to a burning fiery furnace, bond, bonds, and the bonds are burnt. And in the midst of that fire, there is a manifestation of the Son of God right in the midst of the crisis. God comes. There are other times in history where God is with His people through the fire and promotes them to glory. That's God's business. That's God's sovereign purpose in our lives. But there is countless revelations of Christ in the moment of crisis suddenly comes to His people. Suddenly there's an appearance of the majesty and the glory of the Son of God. These children had a promise that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob would be faithful. He would never fail them nor would He forsake them. How many people know that promise is true? That God's Word is true this morning. That He would never leave them or forsake them. Before they entered the crisis, before they went into the fire, before they entered into this moment of great testing, they had a word in their hearts. They had a promise that no matter what happens, their God would not forsake them. We must know in the days in which we're living, no matter what happens, no matter what comes or what goes, no matter the winds that blow and the storms that come, no matter who's on the throne in this land or not, brothers and sisters, He'll never leave us, nor will He forsake us. He is going to be with His people to the end, praise God, to the moment that He comes and raptures us into that glory. He will be with the church of Jesus Christ right to the very end. He's a faithful God. It is the essence of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, I know you know the verse, but would you turn to it to read it? This is important that we do read and we do follow the Word of God. But it is the essence of faith. Remember before they entered the fire, they had to believe the Word. There was no record of a manifestation of an angel or Jesus Himself before the fire. There was a manifestation of Jesus in the fire. That's important. They didn't hold on to the Word because He appeared to them. They held on to the Word because they loved Him. No matter what would come or go, they were going into the fire and they were going to trust Him, but they would never bow to this God. Hebrews 11 and 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things that is hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. One translation says this, faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced 
by the physical senses. I want to say that again because I want us to grasp a little bit of this this morning. Faith comprehends as fact. What is that? That is God's Word. This is fact. This is truth. So faith lays hold of God's Word and establishes that in your heart this morning. This is fact. I will never leave you or forsake you. How many people know that's fact? There's a lot of stuff out there, but this is truth this morning. I will never leave thee or forsake thee. That's fact. And the church says, Amen. We agree with that. That's fact. Faith comprehends as fact that which cannot be experienced by the physical senses. All around us there's a world, but they have no comprehension of truth. We have truth this morning because we're born of the Spirit. And if we're born of the Spirit, we're free. And the Spirit of truth is in our hearts this morning so we can discern according to God's Word, this is truth. This is truth this morning. This is fact this morning, but the physical senses can't comprehend this is fact. We cannot live our lives on the basis of the natural senses or we're going to end up in trouble. We cannot live our lives on the basis of the natural. When I mean the natural realm, I mean the media, the influencers, the politicians, the social media gurus and the worldly systems. We cannot live our lives on the basis of what we hear or what we see or what we feel. We're going to end up in trouble if we do. You understand what I'm saying? If, if our faith is based on what we're hearing on a day-to-day basis, what men would say, what politicians would say, what the influencers are going to say, then our faith then is diminished and we begin to be moved about with every wind of doctrine and thought and idea of this world. Our faith is fixed upon facts. And those facts this morning are God's Word. I will never leave thee or forsake thee. That's a fact this morning. So the faith comprehends as fact that which cannot be experienced by the physical senses. There is a faith. And I know that this is the faith that we are going to need. And it's the faith that we have. But it's the faith that's going to bring us through the storm that's coming or the storm that you're in this morning. It's going to be a faith. We have to come back to facts. The facts are God's Word. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Now I know there's a battle in this room this morning. I know there's a battle in this room because minds are over overcome by the natural realm. Things are happening in your personal life. Things are happening in your home. Things are happening around you. And so those things are real pressures that are coming in your natural man that you have to face. But you have a responsibility as a believer this morning that you bring all of that which is happening and all of your thoughts into subjection to truth. Here's the facts this morning that He won't leave you and He's not going to forsake you. Here's the facts this morning that if you're in a financial crisis, He is Jehovah Jireh. He's your provider. David said, I've been young, now I'm old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging for bread. That's the facts this morning. So we're battling against the natural senses and the senses of faith to believe God's Word this morning. I'm in a mess. I'm in a trouble. I've got problems in the home. 
well, then I have to come back and bring all of that subject to God's Word because the battles are real. Would you say amen if the battles are real? Sometimes people feel they're the only ones in the battle. You're not in the battle on your own. First of all, He has said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. But the people that are sitting around you this morning have had battles too. And are having battles as well. Would you say amen if you are? Praise the Lord. Because that encourages someone else to think, I'm the only one going through trouble. And you're not. We have much tribulations in the world. But there's facts. There's a faith that we will need. And it's the faith of God in our hearts that will bring us through the storm and the fire. These three young men were surrounded by the influence and the physical of a world that was completely foreign to them. Number one, they were in a foreign land. Number two, just very simply by observation, they were in the minority. And number three, they knew that the laws of that Babylonian world that were being implemented were contrary to what they understood to be truth, God's Word. Let me tell you something about the believer that's very similar. We have no continuing city, but we're seeking one that's coming. Church, would you say amen? No matter what they're going to do with the protocol, that's not my home. Put the border down the sea. Put the border in the middle of the island. Put the border wherever you want to put it, but that's not my home. I'm looking for another world, and that's the world that we're going to. That's a city that God has made for His people. I've got a mansion over the hilltop. And so don't lie. I understand there's injustices and everything else. I hear this sometimes. They're going to get everything. I don't know who they are. Because whether it's they or us or them, brothers and sisters, that's nothing to do with me. I've got a home up in the glory. We have no continuing city. That's the facts. Now, I know that gets me into trouble, but it's the truth. And then, they were in the minority. Well, the Bible says, straight is the gate, narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be, few there be, that find it. It's getting smaller. There's great apostasy. There's a falling away from the faith. It seems that the remnant is yet a very small remnant, but it is a remnant. But this is what Jesus says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you right to the very end. That's the truth. Jesus said that you will be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end, what does he say? Shall be saved. That's the truth. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. They had a word before they ever went into the fire. It was God's word. This is what they stood on. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3, if you want to read it. This wasn't delivered to them by an angel or Jesus. This was God's word that was written in their hearts. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3. It says this, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. 
For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and the fourth generation of them that hate me. They had a word that was in their hearts, and we might build your idol and your God, but we will never bow down because we love this God. That was, that was as simple as what there was no manifestation of an angel. There was no sign in the heaven. There was none of that. There was simply God's truth in their hearts. We will simply not buy. It wasn't arrogance. They weren't trying to be anything. They simply loved the Lord and they would not buy. The physical was going to attempt to influence them. And beyond that physical, of course, there is a very potent spirit. That's what we are facing today. There's a very potent spirit behind the realms of the physical. It is not just the political scene, the climate crisis scene. All of that on the surface is not what we are wrestling against. It's principalities and powers. It is an antichrist spirit. We know this. That's behind that. But that spirit is trying to influence everything of what you and I think and how we are going to live. Do you understand what I'm saying? They want to influence how you think and how you live. And so there's the trial of our faith as we looked at it a number of weeks ago, but also there's the temptation of our faith. But let me say this, James 1 and 13 says that no man say when he is tempted that I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. It's temptation to be drawn away from the faith of God's Word. It's a temptation to draw you away from the faith. When we're drawn away from the obedience of faith into that natural. Now I want to bring you a verse this morning that's really important. It's Romans 14 and verse 23. Right at the very end of this verse, the last part of it. Remember, the tempter will cause you to be tempted away from the faith. And faith is fact. That is God's Word. That's what we build our lives upon. But here... The tempter is trying to draw you away from the truth by the physical realm and the natural realm. And the very last part of that verse in Romans 14 and 23 says, For whatsoever is not of faith, what does it say it is? It's sin. Whatsoever is not of faith, what does it say it is? Sin. This is really important. Because it's not that he's tempting you necessarily to go out and get drunk or to commit some type of sexual immorality. It is to try to move the church away from that place of faith in God into that which is the natural realm. The natural part. We can have a natural service this morning. We can just have a natural meeting. We can go through all the, the music and the songs and the prayers, the table and the preaching then another song at the end and a closing prayer. And all of that can operate in the function of the natural realm. Nothing of the supernatural takes place. Because in our minds, we're actually in a place of the natural. It's a place of the unbelief. You know, you read that story of the Lord and it says that He could do no mighty works except that He healed a few sick folk. Because of what? Because of their unbelief. The Bible says here that that which is not of faith is sin. So I want to encourage you this morning. I want you to listen carefully because 
You could sit through this whole meeting in your natural man and you will actually come in, go through the meeting. I know it's nobody's ever done this before, but you could come into the meeting, sit through the entire meeting, nod off now and again for 10 minutes and then just waking up again and we're nearly there and go wide exactly the same way you come in. Anyone know that's real? And yet in your heart, you're burdened in your mind, you're troubled. You've come in, but the whole meeting, you've been consumed with your problems and with your circumstances. And friends, I want to tell you, many people have been there before. Many people have done that before. They come into the meeting. They're so overburdened with the cares of the world. The word has no effect. It's not that there's anything wrong with the singing or the musicians. It's not their fault. It's not the preacher's fault. It's not anybody's fault. We're consumed with the natural things. We're being influenced with the physical that's all around us. Have you been there? And so you come into the meeting. You go through the meeting in the natural realm. You're not lost. You're still saved. Jesus still loves you. He hasn't forsaken you, but you actually go through an entire meeting in the natural realm. You're cons- Someone might be sitting right at the minute and their thoughts are nowhere in this room or listening to the Word of God because their problems are so great at home. They're so consumed with something that's happening in their life and the Word of God is not finding good ground because they're consumed with the natural realm. Now the Bible says that which is not a faith is sin. So when we come into the house, how do we please God? Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says, For without faith it's impossible to please God. He that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder. God doesn't want you to leave the same way you come in. He wants you to leave this morning with a faith in your heart. He wants you to leave this morning looking on to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Trust in the Lord that He's able. And so in the realm of the church, when we gather together, it's so important then that the congregation have a responsibility. Anyone hear that? He's all went quiet. The congregation have a responsibility. I have something to do when I come here. I'm here as a worshiper. I'm here to praise God. I'm here to pray. I'm here to give thanks. But I'm also here to open my heart to the Word of God and allow God to speak to me through the preaching of His Word and to mix that with faith and to act upon the Word of God that this is the truth. And what does the truth do? It makes us free. And so we can come in and go out as we came. But that's not God's purpose. That's not God's plan. He wants us to operate in the faith that He's put into our hearts. I want to show you what happens when we're drawn away or tempted into the natural realm. If you turn over to Genesis at chapter 16, just follow this this morning. Genesis chapter 16. It says there, and we know the story very well of Abraham and Sarah. But it says in Genesis 16 and verse 1, Now Sarah's, now Sarah, Abraham's wife, bare him no children. And then it says, And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. Even the father of the faith, along with Sarah, were drawn away into Egypt to get Hagar. Hagar was an Egyptian. It's a type of going into the world in order to try and to fix your problems. To go into the natural realm to fix what that can only be fixed by God. God fixes problems. 
Doesn't he fix problems? He fixed you and he fixed me. And we were the biggest problem. So God's able to fix problems this morning. But here, and this is the natural mind, even with the father of the faith, the natural mind was that if we go into Egypt, we'll pick up this Egyptian maid, Hagar, and she'll be a help to us. How many people know that the arm of flesh fails us? Isn't it true? The arm of flesh will fail us. The world, the physical, the natural was being employed to fulfill that which can only be fulfilled by the supernatural, by the power of the Holy Ghost. So we know the story so well. Ishmael is born. And what we're seeing today is the birth, the births of many things that are done in His name, but they're actually birthed of the natural. They're not born from above. We're seeing that all around us. And it goes in the name of God. It goes even amongst even the church of God. But sadly today, these things have not been born of the Holy Ghost. They've been born in the natural realm. What it produces is death. What it produces is the natural. Oh, for the supernatural part of God. Oh, for a Holy Ghost revival. Oh, for God to come down in this little upper room this morning, dispel all the fear and fill us all with the power of the Holy Ghost. Oh, that God would breathe upon the church. We need something not from the earth. We need something from the heaven. And so we go into that which is the natural. We take the Hagar. And here it is. We see then that the physical is influencing the life of faith. The natural. The worldly is influencing the natural walk. The, the spiritual walk. It's pressing in upon us. How many Hagars have we got in our lives? How many things have we employed from that which is the world, Egypt, and brought into our lives as a good idea? But how many people know a good idea isn't necessarily God's idea? All of God's ideas are good ideas. But not all good ideas are God's ideas. Isn't that right? And so we employ the natural realms in order to do that which is the supernatural. It's impossible without God. But yet we're influenced by the physical. We see today, friends, and this is so true, we see so many things that are being raised up. False professions. False works. False worship. Moved by the emotions. False ministries. All brought out of Egypt. But not birthed and moved by the power of the Holy Ghost. We need the Holy Ghost. We need the part of God to move and to breathe. The physical influence the faith and brought about that which is the natural and is born from beneath. I want to tell you something, friends. God's not dead. He's very much alive. In Genesis chapter 17, the next chapter, then it says there, and I love this, and Kim was Sure, and just the other night we were talking about these, this very verse and the revelation of God. Genesis 17 says, When Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. What a revelation that God appears to Abram and says, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Here it is. We see here that God in His mercy comes to the man of faith, 
even though there's the natural realms that have been employed, that just shows me that God is rich in mercy with us this morning. Even if we have made mistakes, which we will. Anyone else make a mistake? Five in the whole room. The rest of you should be up here preaching this morning because they're so perfect. But we need God this morning because in His mercy, He comes back to Abraham. And He says, Abraham, I am the Lord God Almighty. He, he is the El Shaddai. What He's saying is, I'm God and there's nothing impossible for me. And Abraham saying, well, praise God, I'm 99. The natural realm is always moving against us more than ever before. Can I tell you, friends, in the day in which we're living of the advancement of everything of what we have, there's just nobody like Jesus. There's no power on this earth like the power of the Holy Ghost. There's nothing like the baptism in the Holy Ghost. There's nothing when He manifests Himself and He heals someone in their body or He touches someone in their life or He provides someone. You've checked your bank account. There's £1.21 and you've a bill, but yet He provides. He's Jehovah Jireh. That's what He's saying. There's nothing impossible for me if you would trust me. He says, if you would walk before me, if you would be perfect, you see, listen carefully, there's a responsibility upon us. Listen, there's a responsibility. It's not just lying back and saying, listen, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, I have nothing to do here, that's just me. I want to tell you, God said to Abraham, I want you to walk before me. I want you to trust me. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge me and I'm going to direct your paths. What he's saying to Abraham is, I am the Almighty God. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. Walk before me and trust me and I will bring it to pass. Second Corinthians 5 and 7 says, or we walk by faith and not by sight. Be thou perfect. Trust me, he's saying. Trust in me. Trust me and I will make a way when there is no way. How many people know he makes a way when there is no way? And so we're battling against often the natural realm. The thoughts and the circumstances that we come up against. And we have a responsibility then to bring our lives in accordance with that which is fact. And what's fact this morning? God's Word. Throughout that Old Testament, He continually appears, reveals Himself in His names. We know that we sing that lovely song about Jehovah Jireh, my provider, constantly. He's bringing the revelation of Himself to His people. I'm the El Shaddai. Abram, you're never too old to have a son. Sarah's going to have a son. And you're going to call him Isaac. I'm going to make a way when there is no way. But it's impossible, Lord. But we're going to believe you and trust you that you can do it. And so you might face the mountain or you might face the fire. You might face the impossibility. But don't employ the things of Egypt to do God's work. Don't employ the things of Egypt for God's work. Friends, I believe that's the greatest tragedy in the church today. The greatest tragedy is that the church has employed the things of Egypt in order to do the work of God. Do you know what Jesus said? We need tarry ye in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And you're going to be witnesses for me from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And these signs will follow you to them that believe. I believe if he came back today, it would just be like he did 2,000 years ago. 
And most of the churches shut up for fear in an upper room that He would rebuke them and say, why are you so filled with fear? I've overcome. Go out into all the world and preach the Gospel. But the doors are closed. Sadly, that's the hour we've come to. We're employing the things of the world in order to do that which can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Lord reveals Himself. When Moses, when Joshua beat defeated Amalek, he revealed himself there as Jehovah Nissi, that is the Lord is our banner. He revealed himself to Gideon in Judges 6 and 24, that he's Jehovah Shalom. He revealed himself in, in Genesis 22 and 14, when Abraham offered Isaac up onto the Lord and the ram was caught in the thicket. As Frank always used to say, all the time, if you've ever worked with Frank more than a few minutes, and you're always working with him, and he makes some tool, or he made something out of nothing sometimes. He just pulled out some tool he's had for 50 years. And then he'd say, there's always a ram in the thicket. Because he's Jehovah Jireh. There's always a way God makes a way. If you don't see him in the wee things, you'll never see him at all. He is Jehovah Jireh. He's Jehovah Rapha. He's our healer. Bless the Lord, all my soul. Forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. Would you say it with me, who healeth all? He heals all your diseases. He's Jehovah Shammah in Exodus, sorry, in Ezekiel 48 and 35. It simply means that the Lord is there. He's right in the midst of his people. He said, where the twos or threes are gathered in his name, praise God, there he is, right here. You know what will rob you of that revelation? What will rob you of that revelation this morning is that your whole mind has been employed by the things of Egypt. Curse of the world. Trials. The difficulties. It's real. Brothers and sisters, I'll be honest, it's real. It's so real. The trials, the troubles, the difficulties, the thoughts of our loved ones looking on to praying, believing, trusting in your heart. Your heart can be so overcome by the things that are happening around you. But brothers and sisters, God said, I want you to come and I want you to put your trust in what that is. Fact. That's the truth of God's Word. What you must remember that all the names of the old, and it's lovely to have a study on them, and I think it's a wonderful thing when all the names and the revelations of gold and the old are all found in this one person. That person is Jesus. That's a revelation of Him. It's just a part of how great He really is. In Colossians 2, if you turn over to it, in Colossians 2 and verse 6, it says these words, Colossians 2 and 6, As ye have therefore received Christ the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Verse Seven were in, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy, vain deceit, after the tradition of men, and after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. I, I just, in a point of passing before we come to verse nine, but if I could just touch on that verse again, beware lest any man would spoil you through philosophy, vain deceit, the tradition of men and the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. My God, brothers and sisters, 
if there's ever been a day that the church has been robbed, if there's ever a day that has been so moved away from Christ as being the center because of, because of philosophies in the church, great orators, men with great ability, but don't preach Christ. How oh, but you want to hear him do Greek? I want to hear about Jesus. And I want to hear about Jesus in English. I want to know about this Christ, but you have to speak to me in my language. And so we have all these great men and great teachers and great abilities and great philosophy that's come into the church, but know what it's done? It might have got us a little bit more intellectual, but has robbed us of the power of Jesus. And so we see the philosophy, the deceit, the tradition, the rudiments of the world, but not after Christ. And then, all these names of the old is what it says in verse 9. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you're complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and all power. Oh, that that would penetrate our hearts this morning. In Christ, all of the revelations of the old and all the names that we see revealed to the Old Testament saints, all of those names are found in one person, and that person this morning is Jesus. Would you say His name? Jesus. Jesus. They don't like that name, but would you say it again? Jesus. What a name. What a name this morning. Jesus. Jesus, what a name. What a name. The devils hate the name of Jesus. The governments of this land hate the name of Jesus. Religions hate the name of Jesus. But it's the name that's above every name. Jesus, what a name. At the name of Jesus, Satan's host does flee. Would you say the name of Jesus? Now see, when you're speaking the name this morning, this is not philosophy. It's not positive thinking. But I want you to think about the troubles that you've come in with. I want you to think about the mountains that you face. I want you to think about the prison house that you've found yourself in this morning. I want you to think this morning about the bondage that you've come in with or a chain of sin or something that's holding you in your life. I want you to think this morning about something that's happening in your home that's completely plagued you and brought you to to your knees and weakness and, and trouble. I want you to think about it all, but then I want you to say this name that's with me this morning. Say the name of Jesus. Everything is subject to that name. Everything the Bible says, the Bible says He's the head of all principality and all power. He is our peace. He is our banner. He is our deliverer. He is our provider. He is the Almighty God. But this is what He says in John 14. If you turn over in verse 12. John 14 and verse 12 says these words, Verily, verily, John 14 and 12, I say unto you, He that believeth in me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. What a verse. Anyone know that's the truth? Do you believe it's the truth this morning? God help us in the natural straight away. He's already, we're just turning down the volume. We're zoning out at the minute because we'd like to just move on to the next verse. Is what Jesus said. I believe it this morning. Anyone else believe it? Jesus said, he that believeth in me. Anyone a believer in Jesus? 
Praise the Lord. Are you a believer in Jesus this morning? Don't go asleep now because we're getting into the natural. Don't employ the, 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 the Egyptian mentality this morning or the tradition of men. Let's come to God's Word. Help us to free ourselves from the tradition of men and the thoughts and all the intellectualism and all of that. Oh, that someone would just believe it this morning. Verily I say unto you, he that believeth in me, the works that I do shall he do also. Greater works than these shall he do because I go to my Father. Then he said these words, and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Not talking about asking things just for your own flesh. I'm talking about things in the spirit that you know that God has got in your heart this morning. You're facing trials and troubles and difficulties. You can ask in the name of Jesus, in that name which is above every name this morning. You can ask in that name that's above, not the name of Muhammad, but in the name of Jesus Christ this morning. A new friend in the name of Jesus. If you're a believer in Jesus, he said, if you ask it in my name, it shall be done. So there's things you need to ask this morning. See, the natural already, you can nearly feel it like a wind against us. You can nearly tangibly feel that the natural man, the natural man is working against that which is the spiritual. Church is employed the apparatus of Egypt for too long. And all that has produced is death upon death upon death. And when the church frees itself of its shackles and its intellectualism and its philosophies and comes back again to that which is the truth by the power of the Spirit, there's another wind that blows that causes the church to get up out of its seat and its slumber. And the bonds that hold it begin to break. Someone just lays hold of God and says, I am a believer in Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, I'm going to ask this morning. And all over the world, no matter the language, you know, God is the originator of the languages of the world. God created, God done all that at Babel. He brought confusion, sent them all out, Mandarin, whatever it is. I know they say they've been here millions of years. Don't worry about any of that, folks. We don't believe any of that junk. It's all in the Word here. God is the originator. Sorry, I just say it the way it is. I say it the way I can say it. But it's all nonsense. It's all nonsense. But this Word's true this morning. He's the originator of every language in this world. No matter what that language is, when the Holy Ghost hears a wee Chinese boy away over there in China in his Mandarin language call out the name of Jesus. The Holy Ghost responds. When a wee German boy this morning speaks the name of Jesus in his language, the Holy Ghost hears his name. He's not confined to one language. He created all the languages. When a wee Arabic child this morning cries out, in the name of Jesus, the Holy Ghost hears. When a Hebrew boy this morning cries out, the name of Jesus, Yeshua, he hears. 
when a wee English boy with a Northern Irish accent calls out the name of Jesus. The Holy Ghost hears that cry. See, there's something about the name. There's something about the name. What a beautiful name. The name of Jesus. Those Hebrew young men are about to go into a fire. And all they've got is his word, but his word is enough. I can't tell you everything that's about to happen. There's some things I do believe. The timing, how it will unfold. I'll be quite honest with you, I don't think really anybody knows except the Lord himself. But we're about to go into a time where we're entered into a time where the heat has increased. Hasn't it increased? The heat has increased. And I am a believer. I know not everyone believes it, but I am a believer that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. I believe in a manifestation of Jesus in the last days in his church. The first thing that happened, if you go back to Daniel 3, I'll be finished in a few moments, but the first thing that happened in Daniel chapter 3 at the revelation of the fourth man. I love this. I really do love this. In Daniel 3 and verse 24 in our reading, when those three Hebrew children are cast into the fire and their bonds have now been burned and now they're free and the king Nebuchadnezzar, verse 24, was astonished or astounded or marveled and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said unto the king, Trio king, lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth, the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. There's two revelations that take place here. The first one, looking at the king, he was astonished. He was amazed. He marveled because he seen something that was completely supernatural. It was beyond the natural realm. Do you know this world needs to see something of the supernatural? The church functioning in the realm of the supernatural. I know a lot of people are a little bit unsure about that, but we have an abundance of supernatural activity from the kingdom of darkness from demonic activity on our streets amongst our young people in our communities all around us, spiritualism in our health system, mindfulness in our education. Everywhere that you look, there's an influence of supernatural spiritual activity. But oh, for the church of Jesus Christ to function in the power of the Holy Ghost. There's no power like the power of Jesus. The power of the Holy Spirit. The king was astonished. The world now the Babylonian world was astonished. Why? Because there was a fourth man in the fire. That fourth man was Jesus. That they woke up and they seen something's different. Was there not three? Now I'm counting four. It confounded the wisdom of, of the men of this world. There's four in the fire, but we put three in. The fourth, the revelation came when he looked into the church that was the church in the fire. But see, when he looked in, do you know what he's seen? Not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's seen Jesus. 
That's what he's seen. He's seen Jesus. See for the world to look into the church and not see us, but see Him. That's going to be something supernatural. They don't see our activity. They don't see who we are, who I am, who you are. They don't hear us. They don't see us. They don't, none of us. But when they look into the fire, know what they'll see. I see Jesus amongst them. Have they seen Jesus in the church? Let me ask you the question. Have they seen Jesus in our lives? Have they seen Jesus in the church of Jesus Christ in Balna Hinch? Not the Pentecostal church or Have they seen Jesus in the church? Have they witnessed that Jesus is there? Have they witnessed the power of the risen conquering Son? Have they seen the love of God shed or brought in our hearts? Have they seen how we work with, together and communicate one with? Have they seen Jesus? I see a fourth man. Not fourth man. It's like the Son of God. That's Jesus. That's a revelation, I believe, that this church, and I'm talking about us, but the church in general, the true church that believe in His name, that's a revelation that I believe in the heart of God, that God wants to reveal His Son through His people. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you know what they've seen? They've seen religion. They've seen division. They've seen church wrecks. They've seen people fall. They've seen all the mess. They've seen it all. They've heard it all. They're tired of it. They don't want to hear it anymore. They talk about their hardened to the gospel. But sadly, many of them have never seen the gospel. They've never seen the gospel. They've heard people say things, but they've never seen it in action. The gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God. They've seen religion. They've seen denominationalism. They've seen all the death. They've seen the employment of Egypt. They've seen the hypocrisy. They've seen the death. They've seen the bickering, they've seen the fighting, they've seen the unforgiveness, but they want to see Jesus. The revelation of the Son of God. So much so that the king made a decree. Can you imagine one of our ministers, not mention any names, but can you just imagine any one of them? Daniel 3.29, walking out to the steps of Stormont and said, I'm making a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, not literally, of course, and not in any way encouraging that there's anyone do anything. We are people that don't lift the sword. Thank God for the new covenant in more ways than one. Their houses shall be dunghill. That's what he says. Because there is no other God that can deliver like this sword. What a deliverer we have. Can you imagine a minister standing on the steps of Stormont? I'm just not going to mention any. I want to mention any, but I'm not going to. But can you imagine him standing there? Now you know it's a male. See, if I keep talking, I'll say his name. Can you imagine him standing on the steps of Stormont and said, there's a God in this country. I tell you, he's the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's the God of that New Testament Pentecostal church. He's a God of those believers that love God. And don't say a word against him. Can God do it? Now the natural realm is coming in. Now even some of our end times theology is starting to creep in. And I don't see a revival. I don't see a move of the Spirit of God. Next minute we don't see anything. We're going to crawl over the line just with our fingers and hopefully we'll make it home. Friends, I believe God's coming for a glorious church revived by the power of the Holy Ghost. 
There was a revelation to the king. There needs to be a revelation to this world that Christ is in the midst. The one that loosed them from their bonds. Are you glad to be free this morning? I pray that if you came last week and you had prayer at the front, that you've walked in the freedom of that. It's not just another meeting. It's not just another prayer time, but you actually leave this place walking in the victory and in the freedom that Jesus has made you free. You keep going on in the victory. It's not back to Monday morning grind. It's moving forward in the victory. Hallelujah, are you free? Their bodies had no, the bodies, the fire had no power. Neither was the hair of their heads singed. Neither were their coats changed. Neither was the smell of fire had passed on them that they trusted him. You know what it says? They trusted him and they yielded their bodies that they may not serve nor worship any God except their own God. Oh, that that would be said of every one of us in this room. They trusted Him. They yielded their bodies that they may not serve nor worship any God except their own God. I will serve no foreign God or any other treasure. It's Christ this morning. That second revelation was a revelation to the church. And maybe the second should be first, but I just put it in that order. The Haggai 2 and 9 says that the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. I'm closing this morning, but I believe that in this coming storm that we are now in, not that it's coming or it's up the road, we're already in it. We're in the storm. Praise the Lord, it's good to be in the storm. I think it was Pastor McConnell used to say, I'd, I'd rather be in the storm, or I'd rather be in the stink than in the storm. I was referring to Noah. Let me tell you, friends, we're in the storm. We are in the storm. There's a great shaking and a great sifting going on in the church of Jesus Christ. Haggai, the prophet, says that the glory of the latter house, do you know what the glory of the latter house is? It's Jesus manifested in that latter house that He actually manifests Himself by the power of His Spirit in the house. Friends, if we could bring all of our natural thought, if it's possible, I know it's difficult. I know that the battles are so real for so many. I know it's intense. That word intense seems to be the word that comes across a lot. The, the battle that you're in is so intense. But I wonder if you could this morning... Just for a moment, if you haven't listened the whole time, it's okay, I'm not offended. But if you could, just for a few moments, that's good to see a few waking up. Praise the Lord. You're coming back in again. We're near there. It's true. It's just when the snow, that's the problem. That's, and the wife has to nudge you. It's not what happens. But listen, if you could bring, if we could bring collectively all our thoughts, all the natural, what are you thinking about? What do you think? You're, you couldn't be thinking about the dinner. Surely you can be thinking about it. What are, what's your thoughts? Maybe there's something in your life that's so potent, so powerful that you don't see a way around it. Listen, listen to me. Bring all of our thoughts, everything, in the subject of that which is fact. Here's the first thing you need to know this morning. I'll never leave you nor will I forsake you. Do you know what you can say in response to that? You see, if you align your mind, 
in your heart, know what you can say. Know what you can say in response, what the Bible instructs you to say and I to say. The Lord's my helper. I'll not fear what man can do unto me. See what the promises should provoke a reaction. It's not just I'm believing the promises. It provokes a reaction. The Lord's my helper. I'm not going to fear. I don't fear what man can do unto me. I don't say that in some type of, I don't fear what man can do to me. The Lord's my helper. The Lord's your helper. But if we could bring all of our thoughts, all the things that we're concerned about, you know, I have concerns, you have concerns, things in our families, things in our home, things that keep us awake at night. You could bring all of them and I bring all of mine and together we bring them subject to God's Word. And we say, Lord, You said You'll never leave us or forsake us. And You're going to be my helper for this circumstance that I face. Now, Lord, what I need this morning, in the name of Jesus, would You baptize me in the Holy Ghost and power that Christ would be seen in His church and the world around us would know you know what? I'm not too sure about that crazy bunch in that building up there. But i tell you one thing about them. Jesus is there. See, I don't really care what people say. All I want to know is, is He here? But we collectively bring all of our thoughts subject by faith to truth. I want to tell you, friends, that's a place of victory and freedom. He'll work it out. How many people know He'll work it out? Will he work it out? And so, God help us. Give us the grace to bring it all to him this morning. Not only bring it to him, but now, God, would you fill us all with the power of the Holy Ghost.